Hey, what's up everyone? It is Pastor Marcus here from the storychurchproject.com. Welcome to the Story Church Project podcast where our focus is how to redesign the local Adventist church to tell its story loud to a culture that is no longer listening. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear and that it inspires you to make a difference in your local church today. Hey everyone, it's Marcus here and I want to welcome you back to the Story Church Podcast. Today I want to talk about the three bottom line reasons why local Adventist churches are dead. Now, last week I had the privilege of talking with a pastor from the U.S. and we chatted for a while about secular outreach, missional culture, um, and we tapped into the challenges faced by Western Adventism. Now, of course, the two of us are pastors and we're really passionate about this sort of stuff. So we had the opportunity to really go back and forth. And at one point in the conversation, um, this guy dropped a massive bomb that really got me thinking. He said that in the region in which he works, there are close to 60 Adventist churches, and only two of them are healthy. Now, I I was bummed out by that, but at the same time, I wasn't really surprised because in my experience, uh, most local Adventist churches are dying churches. Uh, The membership is aging, uh, the mission is non-existent, and youth uh, are fading. And that's not just my personal experience. We see this in statistics as well. Uh, In fact, Adventist record editor uh, Jared Steckelroth, hey Jared, um, he described tackling this crisis as dealing with the very survival of the Adventist church uh, in his article on Growing Young. So in, in the midst of these dying churches, what I also find, and, and sometimes people push back, they're like, oh, but wait a minute, my church is great. And, and, and you know, like, let me be really clear here. I'm not saying that there aren't great Adventist churches. There's a few. I'm talking about, like, sort of the trend. Um, and so in the, in the midst of this, what I tend to find is that there are some churches that tend to stay afloat to, you know, sort of the best way I can put it. Uh, And they do it by putting on as much energy as possible into surviving. And so they're they're working really hard to retain their youth and they're putting on lots of programs to keep them connected. And they even change a few things here and there to to keep the needs, uh, meet the needs of of these emerging generations. Um, But when it's all said and done, one of the things that I've really observed by, by visiting a lot of these churches is that they're not living, they're merely staying alive. And we all know that staying alive is not the same thing as living. And the tragedy of this is best captured by the words of Bill Hennard. And um, you can get you can get anything that I quote in this sort of podcast episode if you go to the storychurchproject.com slash blog and you click on the blog post um, tied into this podcast episode, you can get all the links there. Uh, but Bill Hennard wrote um, that when a church decides to become a survivor, it unfortunately sets the stage for death. And um, so you've got, you know, like this is mass of Adventist churches that are already dead. And then you have um, churches that are struggling to survive and, and, and they're doing their best. But man, if you're in survival mode, you're, you're already headed toward death, you know. Um, and of course, within this decaying church environment, there are still the odd churches that are thriving. But, I, you know, <laughs> I think I've written this before. Like these, these guys are about as mythological as a unicorn uh, or maybe not 
okay, like unicorns don't exist at all. Like there are Adventist churches that are good, that exist, that are thriving. Um, but my point is they're rare and they're super hard to find. But today I want to ask why, like why are stagnation and death our norm as a local church movement within, um, within the Western world? And I believe that there's a lot of answers to that question. And if you step into a room full of pastors and mission-minded people, you'll probably get a hundred different answers to that question. But in this article, I want to offer the three bottom line reasons that churches are dead. And these are based on my personal observations, of course, so I don't claim infallibility here, but I think you'll find that they make a lot of sense. And I'm also going to end with a few sort of practical um, steps that we can do to turn things around. So here we go. The three bottom line reasons why local Adventist churches are dead. Number one, we have convinced too many people. Now, suppose you write a book, because I want to explain what that means, right? Suppose you write a book. Uh, suppose um, you, this is something you're going to publish and you know, you're going to get super rich. So let your imagination go wild here. Um, and the purpose of the book is to convince everyone that New York pizza is the best pizza in the world. So you do this with a very simple format. You state your case in the introduction, and then for the next 12 chapters, you argue one point after another. Chapter one, the cheese is richer. Chapter two, the base is thinner. Chapter three, the sauce is more authentic. And New York pizza, and so on and so forth. So by the time you get to the end of the book, you've argued 12 reasons why New York pizza is the best pizza in the world. And along the way, you've demonstrated how Boston and Chicago just don't compare. And of course, how Atlanta and Los Angeles never stood a chance. If you're from New York, you're probably listening to this like, yes, it's so true. <laughs> now, your book is published and becomes a huge hit. And after a year, they have this massive convention that gathers in Manhattan to celebrate your bestseller. Thousands of people who agree with you are there to celebrate with you. And now you have this New York pizza-only cult following that sweeps across the globe. You are rich. Congratulations. Okay, back to reality. The point I'm getting at is this. The above scenario is pretty much how Adventist evangelism has historically worked. Now, I want to be very cautious here because I know a lot of present-day evangelists who are trying to do the exact opposite. So I don't want to make it seem like this is a thing that is just, you know, systemic across the board. There are people who are working hard in the opposite direction. Um, but I'm talking historically here. This is how Adventist evangelism has historically worked. And Adventists have historically approached the Great Commission as a great debate in which we argue for our theological brand. So here is why Adventism is the best denomination in the world, is our cry, right? Chapter one, we go to church on the right day. Nobody else does. Chapter two, we alone can explain what really happens when you die. Chapter three, we've got end times figured out better than anybody else. And then sprinkled in each of our presentations are passive and active arguments about how the Pentecostals and the Methodists are so wrong and those non-denominational Christians stay away from them. But of course, nothing gets our blood boiling more than that Roman Catholic Church. Now that's just straight up Satan. Now, if you're a conservative Adventist, like me, by the way, you might be appalled at what I'm saying right now. Am I making fun of our message? No, I'm not. What I'm doing is pointing out how so much of our SDA churches are like conventions filled with people who are convinced by our arguments. And they join our movement because they think we're right and everybody else is wrong. They're not necessarily converted, all right? And I'm going to come back to that later. They're not necessarily converted, but boy, are they convinced that we've got the truth. And what do you get when you've reached people by arguing them into the church? You get a church culture more interested in arguing than in serving. 
Now, personally, I'm not very impressed by gigantic post-evangelistic baptism numbers. What I'm interested in is how many of them were won with love and to love, because so long as we keep winning people with arguments, we will win them to arguing. And this, I believe, is one of the main reasons why so many of our local churches are dead. Everyone just wants to keep arguing. Nobody wants to serve. It's how we won them. And so, you know, what do we expect? So that's the first one. Now I want to come to the second one, all right? The first one was we've convinced too many people. Um, the second one is we've freaked out too many people. Now, let's use our imagination again. Suppose you decide to start a business selling insurance, but no one sees the need. So eventually you discover a marketing trick that works like a charm. And with it, you are able to scale your business and finally put some food on your table. Some New York pizza, by the way. So what's the trick? The trick is this, sell to people's fears. If you market how good your product is, nobody cares. But if you market how urgent it is, or else, well, now you've got your phone ringing. In his article, Why Fear Sells, The Business of Panic and Paranoia, Martin Lindstrom stated clearly, and I quote, that fear is a powerful persuader, which is why the marketing world uses scare tactics to sell us everything from antidepressants to condoms, dental floss to laundry detergent, burglar alarms to cell phones, bottled water to pizza dough, as well as countless other brands and products. Using this handy information, oh, by the way, end quote with the word products. <laughs> so using this handy information, you switch up your marketing campaigns and sell to your prospects fear of death, disease, and financial ruin. And ka you are rich. But what does this have to do with why so many local Adventist churches are dead? Let me explain it very briefly. This method of selling fear is precisely what many ministries use in order to get you to buy their products. Now you add to this the difficulty of a small Adventist market and a ton of competing ministries, and you end up with new startups having to develop these unique selling points, these unique warnings. So one ministry exists to warn you about the dangers of X, and the other one to warn you about the dangers of Y. And if that's not enough, a new guy is on the scene raising the midnight cry on how if you don't understand Z, you and your children's souls will be imperiled. Whew, it's exhausting. So anyways, Adrian Zaid uh, captured this issue really well in his article, Beyond the One Project, The War Over the Local Church 5B. You can get the link for that again in the blog. And this is what he writes. <clears throat> this is a long quote, guys, so <laughs> bear with me here. But this is what he writes. Because they are often competing with other independent ministries for the same number of churches who are open to such speakers, they have to differentiate and establish their unique selling point against that of other or another independent minister. It is a zero-sum game. Either they are invited to churches and they quickly establish urgency in the minds of the members regarding their topic and sell materials at the end of the weekend series, or they and their family will starve. Enormous pressure is therefore put on the independent minister to present information in such a way as to create a thirst in the mind of the member that can only be quenched by buying the materials on sale after the series is ended. The member then adds the materials to their threat matrix system so that they can see this latest spiritual danger coming at them a mile away. Often, the member does not have the time to really study the materials in any organized fashion or depth because the next weekend, another speaker is ready to present yet another testing truth or threat that they have to be vigilant about. 
and the cycle repeats itself, end quote. Now, this process, Zaid argues, has a, I quote, tremendous effect on the local church, end quote, in which, among other issues that he brings up, I quote again, every person views the other as a potential spiritual threat to their salvation, end quote. Such a culture quickly degenerates into toxicity, and I think it's not too hard to see how or why. Now, you add to this the already existing foundation of argumentation, that I talked about earlier, and you end up with a nucleus of people who are too freaked out about existing to have any meaningful impact in the world, and the church quickly becomes a fortress rather than a hospital because they're in self-protection mode from all of the fear that they've been fed. So that's point number two. Now I got one more, and then I want to get to some practical points. Number three, we have short-sold too many people. Now what do I mean by that? <clears throat> I want to go back to point number one here. When we win people by convincing them with arguments, we can publish sexy reports about how many baptisms we got, but in the long run, it bites us in the butt. The truth is, belonging to the church is a passage that takes place on the heels of conversion. I can't stress that enough. My goodness. When a person receives Christ and is born again, the Bible says they pass from death unto life from the headship of the first Adam to the second Adam, from humanity 1.0 to humanity 2.0, from the kingdom of men to the kingdom of heaven. This conversion experience is way bigger than just a shift in worldview. It involves being born anew from above, and this is a miraculous, divinely initiated metamorphosis. But this rebirth doesn't happen like a physical birth. In a physical birth, a person is conceived and then born into the world. But for a rebirth to take place, it must be preceded not by conception, but by death. In other words, we must die first before we can be born anew. And this death experience is imperative in the Christian life. It is death to self, death to the old man, and a rebirth into an entirely new experience as a child of God. And you can't accomplish this by convincing people, we're right, we're right, we're right. And while this is probably the least popular thing I'll ever say, I, I maintain that the reason most of our churches are dead is because they're filled with people convinced by the truth but not converted by it. They're filled with people who are spiritually dead because they've never actually died to themselves and been born again. To put it differently, most of our churches are not filled with men and women who have died and been reborn into newness of life. Instead, they are filled with men and women who have rebranded their worldview via Adventist theology. Now, you mix that non-regenerate spirit with argumentative spirit in our historic of our historic evangelistic style and the constant bombardment of fear-based fear -based, uh, sales pitches, and you end up with a culture that is constantly trending toward death because it is, in essence, composed of individual souls who are already dead and have yet to experience the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. A power that sets us free from self, from argumentative and judgmental spirits, and fills us with a love so perfect it casts away all of our fear. Okay, so I said some heavy stuff there. I'm anticipating some angry comments. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be so cynical. Um, I think I think a lot of people will resonate with this because I'm not pointing out anything here that we don't already know. I think all of us are probably hearing this or, or reading this, whichever whichever way you're getting this content, and thinking, man, you know what? I've I, I knew that. I've known that for a while. 
But I don't want to linger there, right? I don't want to linger on the problem because that's tantalizing and that's fun to do, but it doesn't help anyone. I want to turn my attention to some practical things. And if you've got anything you want to share in terms of you know practical things that you think would be really helpful in this space to lead our churches toward a more healthy culture, then please feel free to comment and share. Um, I'd love to hear from you. But in order to solve this issue, we can't simply identify it. We've got to we've got to get our hands dirty. And so here are three simple um, ideas that I have. Uh, and again, I don't know it all, but here are three simple ideas that I have that I think can help. Number one, Adventist preachers, leaders, influencers, whatever it is, whoever it is, we need to focus on conversion more. Uh, we need to preach Jesus not as a nice idea, but as a living person who is calling us to death. Uh, so many gospel presentations these days gloss over death or skip it altogether. And the result, I'm afraid, is that we're simply convincing people to give Jesus a go and see how his philosophy of life improves ours. But this is not the gospel. We, we have to come to Jesus by way of his death. And that death experience is imperative, not only for our individual spiritual life, but for our collective mission as well. I mean, imagine what would Adventism be like today if it was filled with less people who were staunchly convinced that the Sabbath is on Saturday, but who had died to their self-centered, argumentative, and narcissistic selves and been born again a new creation in the likeness of Jesus, compassionate, kind, and other-centered. What would Adventism be like? You get my point, right? Preach conversion. Right? Preach conversion. Or teach Whatever, whatever sphere you're in. Number two, um, look, I'm not against independent ministries. I hope I didn't come across that way. But for those who are reading this who perhaps lead one, I want you to please think about two things. First, think about how you market your material. Right? The last thing our churches need is more people exploiting their fears to sell them the next DVD with the urgent warning. And while I'm at it, please, for the love of all that is beautiful, stop calling every new thing you don't like the Omega apostasy. Seriously, if I have one more person tell me their DVD or book exposes what it really is, I think I'm going to puke. All right, let me get back to being serious for a moment. If you run an independent ministry, it's because God has gifted you with innovation, charisma, and the spirit of entrepreneurship. And that's awesome. Use it. But please chill out with the fear stuff. And I'm not just talking about marketing here. I'm talking about content as well. In fact, when it comes to marketing, I'm not even 100% against using pain points and urgencies to get someone's attention. Like that's, you know, there is, you can go too far with it, but there, you know, that's pretty standard marketing. Uh, what I'm really frustrated with is the emotional manipulation that then leads people not towards something redemptive, but towards more fear-based content that engrosses the mind with the work of evil until the love of God becomes relegated to the pile of cheesy milk doctrine. And that is not cool. Everything you say must point to Jesus. And if it doesn't, you are not doing God's work no matter how you spin it. Now, for church leaders, I got a word of advice. Don't try and convince your members to stay away from this stuff. I mean, there is some, you know, some of it is like really out there. And I suppose you can tackle that. But uh, for the most part, um, if, you, if you just go to war with this stuff, it turns the leaders and these ministries uh, into martyrs and, and makes life actually a bit harder. So instead... Just keep calling your flock back to, to the scriptures and deal with the principles of having the mind of Christ. All right? and, 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 and that makes a huge difference. Now, not everybody's going to get it, but it will inoculate new members and slowly lead the ones hooked on this stuff to turn their eyes to Jesus as they develop a mind that is more uh, in keeping with, you know, like the healthy thinking patterns um, that we have in scripture. All right, number three, focus on the good. Now, in my second podcast episode, I interviewed Pastor Robert Stankovic about restoring churches hijacked by fanaticism. And he said something so wise, I never forgot it. He said this, 
And I quote, focus on the good and eventually the bad will discover it doesn't fit in anymore. Now, I think that is an awesome bit of practical advice and also a sweet spot to end. So do you have any thoughts to add? Feel free to comment on the blog post or Facebook. Go on Facebook and you know you see the link. Feel free to comment. I'm more than happy to hear what you've got to say. Uh, now, two things before I wrap up this episode. Number one, if you haven't gotten the free ebook, How to Study the Bible with Postmoderns, what in the world are you waiting for? Seriously. And if you've got it and you haven't shared it with anyone, what are you waiting for? Seriously, guys, go on to storychurchproject.com, download the free copy of How to Study the Bible with Postmoderns, and share it, man. Share it around. Let that book just go to everyone. Um, now, I often recommend that rather than just emailing the file to other people to encourage them to subscribe on the website as well. And the reason is simple. They'll get the book for free, of course, uh, but they'll also get updates and and any other things that the Story Church Project is doing. And so, the, you know, by joining the mailing list, it really helps me and it really helps them as well. But secondly, I have also just recently launched my new Patreon account. Now, what is Patreon? Patreon is a way where you can support the Story Church Project financially. Now, I'm not trying to like make money here. The point is that in order for the Story Church Project to reach people, I've got to put money into it. And so that's kind of just the way it is, especially with social media. You got to put money into advertising and it's pretty expensive. So I started a Patreon because if you love what's happening at the Story Church Project and you would love to help more people hear about it through advertising, then you can actually sign up at patreon.com as a, as a monthly patron um, and you can you know you can give as little as one dollar a month and as much as one million you know I mean if you're gonna do the million thing that's cool um, but you can start with as little as one dollar a month and then see how you go and there's some other options there that you can look at as well where you can get some things in return you know like you get to choose the next podcast episode if you pick a particular package you know those types of things so the link is below uh, this podcast episode on SoundCloud. It's also on the blog itself. You, know, you can go there. You can click the link. If anything, just go to patreon.com slash the story church project and you can check it out there. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I've enjoyed sharing uh, with you this week the three bottom line reasons why local evidence churches are dead and some practical tips on how to lead them toward new life. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope it inspired you. I hope it challenged you. And I hope that wherever you are, you are working to redesign your local Adventist church for mission. Take care and God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's latest episode of the Story Church Project podcast. I hope you were blessed. If you haven't yet had a chance, I want to invite you to head over to thestorychurchproject.com and subscribe to the newsletter. Not only will you get the latest updates every week, but I'm also going to send you a free gift straight to your inbox. You don't want to miss it. I'll catch you on the next one.